0: okay the story begins this is our final discussion of the tanya club culmination of three years of study three wow. years of coming together I, this is actually i'm, I'm almost like sad that it's over it's like we we should be having a for we have to, we're going to, we're going to make a celebration. We're going to make a for we can't let it just, it, it's, it's a big deal and we have to treat it as such. Um, and we're going to make a big deal out of it. We have to celebrate. We are on the second half of chapter 53, page 673. Over
1: the, let, let's take a step back actually. I think it's important that we remind ourselves of the
0: overall intention of the Tanya, the overall goal. The Tanya is trying to explain one verse throughout the Torah, of the Torah. Moses tells the Jewish people, a relationship with God is very doable, very close. The matter is very close. Well, how is a relationship with God close? I don't see God. I don't hear him. Not to say if you, if you talk to God, it's called prayer. And if he talks to you, then you need help. No, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, sorry. I don't see God. I don't hear God. At least I won't admit to it. No. Um, how is a relationship with God close? And the Tanya provides a roadmap for us to experience God within ourselves on some level perhaps not completely or perfectly as a tzaddik would, because we still have the opposition of the animal soul. But despite the animal soul, we can still experience God. Towards the end of book, chapter 50, we asked a question, well, where is God? Okay, I can experience him with my soul. My soul has that sensitivity. My soul is a piece of him. Where is he to be found? What do we say? What does it mean when we say that God's divine presence is present, is here. Isn't God everywhere? Isn't there no place where he is not? And if God is everywhere, what value do my mitzvahs have in bringing God present into our world? What value does a synagogue have? What value does anything have? What value does anything have that is spiritual if God is everywhere?
1: And if he's not everywhere, then he's not the one God. Why am I worshiping him? So to answer this, we've been exploring the the gist of it all is basically that
0: God is everywhere. There's no place where he is not. But that doesn't mean
1: he's experienced everywhere. Just like the soul is everywhere in the body. the proof is every part of our body has life some element of life to it
0: so there's no place that you're in your body that you're that is not impacted by the soul but where is the soul experienced it's going to be experienced more with the heart and the mind and mind than the toenails although the soul has a presence in the toenails
1: similarly god is everywhere in this world there's no place where he is not although it may seem
0: like it at times, especially in in certain areas. But where is he going to be most experienced? We said last week that the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, is where God was most experienced. And particularly the first Beit HaMikdash, because the first Beit HaMikdash had the Aaron, had the Holy Ark, had contained within it the tablets, which is God's divine will, literally etched in stone. It's not going nowhere. Besides when Moses shatters it, but we won't talk about that, no. <laughs> but actually the shattered tablets were were there also, both tab- both sets of tablets were there. And the significance I- to that, which we could talk about another time.
2: Can I ask you a question Re- yeah. regarding your example of the tablets? Um, I forget where I read this, but I was wondering if you'd heard Something similar, and could elaborate. I heard that um, just before Moses threw the tablets down, the engraved commandments were removed by by Hashem before they
0: struck the calf.
2: Can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly what it says. As as Moses was to about to throw
1: it, the the, the words left. Um, one way to explain it is, you know how a, a corpse is much heavier than a, a live person? Right? When you have life, you, you kind of carry yourself.
0: Um, that's true scientifically. It's true halakhically as well, by the way, just parenthetically speaking. It's for, it's forbidden to carry in a public domain on Shabbos, right, outside. But theoretically, there's no biblical prohibition of carrying another person, because people carry themselves, so they're self-sufficient. You're not really carrying them, right? We're one to have carried a corpse in a public domain that's considered carrying, but you see that not only halachically, you see it scientifically. Somebody who is has a soul in it is is much lighter. So Moses is holding these tablets. The letters, the soul of the tablets are removed. All of a sudden, the tablets are incredibly heavy. And Moses drops them. That's one way to explain it. But so, the, the spirituality, what?
2: Is that, is that Midrash that says that?
0: Yeah. It's It's not necessarily, you won't find that in Rashi, which is more literal interpretation. But you do find that in the more in other uh, commentaries that focus more on the spiritual dynamic of what went on. Um, but what what that shows us, I'm glad you asked this because it, it, it does have relevance to our conversation. What that shows us is that the spirituality, the divinity,
1: was literally etched into the physical world. It can't be erased. You know that's miraculous the fact that it was removed, but you you
0: you can't normally re- erase something that's etched, something that's written, you can erase it, something that's etched, you cannot. And what we said last week was God was so connected to this world, particularly in the tablets, particularly in the Holy of Holies, in that zone, more than you'd be able to experience God in any of the other spiritual realms or worlds, as we call them dynamics, whether it be the world of Atsilus of total clarity, we gave the example of the piano, right? In the world of Atsilut, in the highest of spiritual realms, you see a piano and you actually see music. In a lower realm, and that's an analogy, right? In a lower realm, you see furniture. In our realm, you see dinner, right? As a woodpecker would see dinner. In the world where there's most, cl- the most clarity, the least concealment, divine concealment, Still, God was even more present in the in the temple, the on this physical world that was in the in the uh, where the tablets were. Not so much in the case of the second temple, where it was a very different time, where Jews were not as um, spiritually inclined. It's still what uh, many elements of exile were still present during the the second temple. Many of the miracles that took place during the first temple that were not present in the second. There was no holy ark and tablets in the second temple. (laughs) Now, these days, we are left with not only a lack of a second temple. We don't even have the first temple. We don't have any temple. We don't have any physical temple. Where do we house God physically? Where can we most experience God? Right. Let me take a step back. God is everywhere. He's most experienced in the places He's designated for Himself. The brain of the world is referred to as just as the soul is most experienced with the brain, and that was the temple. That was the Beit Hamikdash. These days, there is no more Beit Hamikdash. Where is God? That is today's question. Where is God?
1: Okay. Take a look on six seventy three. Here is how you find God. Um, right where it says Section Two, everybody sees it.
0: And after the Second Temple was destroyed, the presence of the Shekhinah on Earth has persisted, even though the Temple is destroyed. The divine presence, the Shekhinah, is still here, as the Talmud states. The Blessed One, uh, the Blessed Holy One, God, has no other place in His world other than the four cubits of Jewish law alone. When you study Torah, that's where God is present. God is present in the Torah. That is the temple. That is, has replaced the temple. That's the portable temple. And even if a person, this is a quote, even if a person sits and studies Torah, one person sits and studies Torah. You study Torah by yourself, even without a minion. The Shekhinah, the divine presence, it's with him. As stated in the first chapter, in the Talmud, where is God? Pull out a volume of Talmud pull out a Chumash, a Torah, pull out the Rambam, whatever it is, study God's values. That's essentially what Jewish law is. It's God's deepest desires and values. And that's where he is to be found. Again, you only share your values with somebody you're willing to be vulnerable with. Which means, if I share you with, if I share my values with you right now, my deepest opinions and values and perspectives that I wouldn't share with other people normally, what that means is I'm very much present in your life right now. I'm very much present in your life right now. If I'm willing to be vulnerable with you, I'm very present. God is willing to be vulnerable with us. And when he tells us what his will is, we want to understand it to the best of our ability. We're going to even split hairs to make sense of everything to the best of our ability despite our limited selves. And when we do that, when we study Torah, God is present. There's another Talmudic quote. It says, anybody who studies Torah, God sits across from him and studies
1: with him. Because when we study Torah, God is present. The divine presence is present. Is there... Um, is, is God
2: more revealed in... The presence of a minion than when you're by yourself
0: good question the answer is yes the difference is when there's a minion you don't necessarily even need to do anything only the minion itself creates a sacred space for god to be present where it's, it's quoted in various sources that there's certain angels, that if they were to be in the presence of a minion, even if the minion wasn't doing anything holy or praying or anything, just the mere presence itself would, they would get like zapped from the holiness.
1: It'd be too much for them. But over here, what we're saying is, even if you don't have that, you just have the book, you
0: just have the values itself, that itself is housing God's presence. Now, next time you study Torah, whether you're studying the daily Torah portion, you're studying Talmud, even if you're studying the Tanya, you're studying Maimonides, you're studying Jewish law, whatever you may be studying, the parsha, whatever it may be, there's so much variety, which is which is beautiful. You find what
1: connects with you most. Next time you study, before you open the book think about this.
0: Think about this connection that you're having with Hashem. Think about that God is about to share his values with you. Think about that as you read these words or listen to these words, whatever means of of studying you're doing,
1: you're about to experience God's deepest values. And some of them may seem bizarre, right? But
0: think about it from our perspective. We have bizarre desires too and what temperature does the diet coconut be does it is it a regular straw is it a bendy straw is it a paper straw is it a plastic straw how much ice is it in the can is it from a bottle Do i like the metallic taste or not we appreciate we we are very specific when it comes to our desires we we have our
1: quirks so we can appreciate that god has those too and think about that before we study torah
0: God has his quirks. I I say that with all due respect. That's only from our perspective that we may see it that way. But what he's really doing is being vulnerable with us,
1: being comfortable with us. He's willing to share that with us. It seems
3: like it, as opposed to being his quirks, it's probably just we don't understand what his reasoning is. That, well, that's us, what it is. To us, it's quirks.
0: Exactly. Exactly. To us, it's it's quirks, and and but to God, it's actually meaningful. And if we can make it meaningful for ourselves, if we can make it talk to our hearts and to our minds, then we we you know when when you're when you appreciate your spouse's quirks. Not just tolerate them
1: that's a big deal that's deep when we not just tolerate god's quirks we appreciate them they make sense to us at least on some level and that's what a lot of the commentaries try to do that's why
0: there's so much writing so let's make this meaningful let's make this relevant
1: Now, a disclaimer.
0: There is a difference between how God was experienced. Again, God is everywhere, but he was experienced in the temple. These days, there's no temple. We have the Torah. That's where he's experienced. But there is a difference between the two. There is a profound difference
1: between how God was experienced in the temple and how he's experienced in the Torah. In... Did the he rabbi froze. freeze for anybody else? Yes. What? You froze. Froze. You froze okay. for
2: like 10 seconds.
0: Rewind. Okay. <laughs> in there, There's a difference between how God was experienced in the base of Mikdash and how he was experienced and how he is experienced now through Torah study. In the base
1: of Mikdash, the, the sacred experience was very vivid. You came to the base of you came to the Holy Temple, usually on the holidays, there was the
0: uh, tri-annual trimester, I guess, uh, pilgrimage, where people come up for Sukkot,
1: Passover, Shavuot, and you would come to experience God, who is familiar with the
0: festival holiday musaf that we recite on the holiday of Passover Shavu and Sukkot there's a specific musaf that we recite on that musaf prayer that we recite on that day not on all others um, if you happen to have a sitter handy raise your hand if you don't then we're good okay it looks like we all have a sitter handy or most of us let's get the sitter quickly what no okay let me I don't know if I have one um i didn't hold on what what
3: does um, uh, hamigdash mean again
0: the word it comes from the word kadosh sacred or holy
3: so it just means holy place holy
0: holy house yeah holy house sacred house sacred house
1: Okay, so we have the, the festival Musaf. Uh, if you could turn to page 343.
0: This is a, what I'm doing is I'm I'm doing a pitch for next week's class. No, I'm kidding. Our new class study, right? But this is a fascinating insight. T- um, take a look on page 343, the, um, the middle paragraph where it says, but because of our sins, I'll have to have, Yeah, you see it?
2: Yeah, you'll have to read it for me because I don't have a book in front of me.
0: Oh, okay. So it says, but because of our sins, we were exiled from so t- t- step back. The the uh, function of a musaf prayer. There used to be a musaf offering, a korban, a sacrifice called the korban musaf. We don't have sacrifices anymore. So now we offer a prayer instead. And here's what we read, but because of our sins, we were exiled from our land and driven far away from our soil, and we are unable to go up to appear and to bow before you and to discharge our obligations in your chosen house, the great and holy house, the Beit HaMikdash, upon your name is, which your name is proclaimed, because of the hand that was sent forth against your sanctuary. We're saying, God, offer these prayers instead of the it, accept these prayers instead of these uh, sacrifice, because we no longer have it. I'd like to read this line again. second line, I'm reading from the second line again uh, of that paragraph. We were unable to go up to appear and to bow before you.
1: So let me ask you a question. We're not able to go up anymore because it doesn't exist Uh-oh. But why can't we bow before
0: him?
2: We we lost like your last ten seconds again.
0: Okay, so so I, I'm gonna uh, rewind. It says we're unable we're unable to go up to appear and to bow before you. We can no longer do this. So accept our prayers instead. And the question that's asked is, it makes sense that we're not able to go up because the temple doesn't exist there anymore. It's taken over by a mosque. We're not able to appear before God because his presence is not revealed to the same capacity as it once was.
1: But it also says we're no longer able to bow. Why can't we still bow before him? That's the one thing we can do. <laughs> right? Again, I'll read the sentence again. And we are unable
0: to, because of our sins, we were exiled from a land driven far away from our soil, and we are unable to go up, to appear, and to bow before you. Okay, part of the sentence is true. We can't go up there anymore. We can't appear before him anymore. Why can't we still bow?
2: So I'm I'm thinking this has something to do with uh, how uh, during High Holy Days, there's one particular elenu where we bow. Is it perhaps that God is absolutely most revealed to us at that time, and without the presence of the Beit Hamikdash, uh, and his his revealment to us is not as complete to for us to for us to do this.
0: I, I don't. Know. Okay. Uh, okay. Good. You're on the right track. So let's say God is less revealed, right, because he's no longer present in the temple the same way. So now the bowing would be disingenuous.
1: Or
3: maybe we don't know which, where to bow to since we, he's not centered
0: anymore. Right, right. So uh, along the same track. In other words, think about going up to the pilgrimage, experiencing God's presence. The natural reaction is to prostrate, it's the bow. It's only natural. You feel God. Okay, I'm all for you. I'm all given over to you. We can physically bow can we experience the bow in a, in a uh, genuinely, internally that's what the prayer is saying we're no longer able to do that in the times that us, you would bow to God because you really felt that that's what life is all about so I'm going to prostrate myself, I'm going to give myself over to him these days we're no longer able to do that now, contrast that to the Torah. When we study the Torah, yes, God's presence is
1: there. But there's a difference. You have to meditate on it because it's not as obvious. In
0: the temple, it was obvious. The natural reaction was to bow. When you study Torah, we don't all of a sudden bow. Maybe we should, but we don't feel the same connection. So, yeah, so in both cases, God is more present, more revealed. But as far as we are concerned, us limited human beings, we don't experience it as much in the Torah. Um, that, that's why, by the way, one of the reasons why the Baal Shem Tov introduced the Hasidic Movement, which re-emphasized the inner dimension of Torah, such as the Tanya and that mode of studying, which helps us remember what the Torah truly is. It really is an embodiment of of God's presence. Even though, uh, hold on, did I freeze? No, okay. Um, It really is an embodiment of, of, of God's divine presence, even though the, even though it's talking about, even though the Torah is very often down to earth. The inner dimension, The the inner dimension of the Torah gives us that um, frame of thinking, of realizing, yes, that this is really housing God as the temple would. And to some degree, I could experience it. In, In other words, when you study the inner dimension of the Torah, the Kabbalistic teachings, it's a lot more obvious that it houses God's presence. It's a lot more clear that it houses God's presence. The Torah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started reading
1: the Torah from anew. We started reading Bereshit, Bereshit Bar In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh oh. Three times is a charm. Long free. This might, this, this this
2: might. might be the big one. <laughs> the big one. Back. Uh, we lost like fifteen okay. seconds.
1: Rewind. N-
2: newly frozen.
1: Oh boy. It's a really unstable connection.
0: Yeah, it's not usually like this. Okay, looks like we're back. Thumbs up if you can hear me.
2: Yeah, you should go you should go back like 30 seconds though.
0: Okay, I apologize. I, I have like The Wi-Fi looks good on my side, but I don't know what's going on. We have to figure this out. Um, There's a classic question amongst the commentaries, why does the Torah start with the letter Bet? Once you're starting with letter number two, why not start with letter number one? Right, have you heard that question before? And there's numerous answers that the commentaries like to provide. Some say Bet stands for blessing, for bracha, The Rebbe, in one of his talks, offers an explanation, an insightful uh, explanation, which I think is very relevant to our discussion here.
1: Aleph is the numerical value of one. refers to God. Bet is the numerical value of two.
0: The Torah starts with a Bet because the actual text of the Torah, reading the
1: text, is step two. Step one, whose Torah are you reading? God, it doesn't write that,
0: it starts with a bet, because the actual text, that's step two. Just like in communication, healthy communication considers not what is being said, but who's saying it, right? Two people can say the exact same thing to you, but it may mean something different depending on who it's coming from, right? And healthy communication considers, to healthily communicate or to interpret, we consider not what's being said, but who's saying Uh, similarly when it comes to the Torah it's so important to remember not what we're reading
1: but whose values are we reading and unfortunately the unfortunate product of exile is
0: it's not going to be obvious it's not going to although the Torah is a physical embodiment of god's divine presence in this world in our minds and our hearts it's not going to be obvious we have to put in the effort we have to put in the
1: work to make it happen okay next Uh uh-oh
3: Maybe Javi set up a server or something. He doesn't even know it.
2: <laughs> Javi's back there like she's gaming or something. <laughs> Got some video game going on. <laughs> it's the kids. They're all over the internet.
3: It was that dog barking that we heard before. That's yeah, my dog.
2: <laughs> I mean, I actually dog. it's
3: my son's, my son's dog. Hmm.
1: And Mike's cl- clock.
2: Oh, yeah. It's eight uh, fifteen now. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm.
2: This is the part where the rabbi would say, uh, "Just talk amongst yourselves."
3: Hmm. <laughs> is your statue still there, Mike? Huh? I can't see your statue today,
2: oh, right? Because I I turned the camera just a little bit. It's it's, uh, it's not it's out still. of the house. It's not out of the house yet.
0: I'm I'm on a. Uh, I just switched to a different Wi-Fi network. Hopefully, it's going to be a little bit more more clear. Um, my <laughs> audible, neighbors this neighbors time. Here, don't tell them don't say that too loud
2: (laughs) sometimes the cellular network turns out to be the best one of all
0: we have horrible cellular service in in this house at least with our service T-Mobile. and even verizon was a little weak there yeah it's i don't know maybe i don't know i'm not sure what the deal is
2: i think your last word was next yes it was it was next (laughs) and then you froze
0: (laughs) the irony okay on on a personal level we want to house God within our own selves we want to experience God we we want God not just to be a inspiration a fleeting inspiration you know I come to high holiday services it's a sacred day and I'm inspired I experience the the kedusha the holiness and then next day it's gone you know, there's, there's the famous teaching from Rabbi Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch, he used to say the day after Yom Kippur, he said, now we could start to do Teshuvah. Now we could repent, right? It's after Yom Kippur. <laughs> when we're inspired, it's very easy. There's a, there's a certain um, momentum that Yom Kippur has. And when that's gone, now we can begin. So how do we experience God in our lives? How do we create this experience with our own selves?
1: It requires fuel. If I take a look on the bottom of 675, we'll discuss what this fuel is.
0: The last line of 675, all the way at the bottom. All of this discussion will help us clarify the statement of the child, Yanuka and the Zohar. The Zohar, one of the earliest works of Kabbalah, quotes the teaching of a child who is a prodigy, a Kabbalistic prodigy, And here's what he said, top of 675, uh, sorry, 676. The spiritual flame lit above his head is the Shekhinah, is in need of oil. Okay, so we have the flame above our head. We have the Shekhinah, the divine presence that might be represented by the soul. But to connect
1: to that, it needs fuel. And what is that fuel practically? On a very
0: practical level, the study of Torah, the performance of mitzvahs, physical actions. I'm going to read the next two paragraphs. at The top of the page, we'll read through it quickly, meaning that this flame of the Shechin, of the divine presence, needs to be enmeshed with Chachma. Who remembers what Chachma is? Wisdom. Wisdom, right? But what is, what is the difference between wisdom and understanding? A wise person and a smart
1: person? Heart versus intellect?
0: Okay, not exactly, but you're on the right track.
2: Well, wisdom is conceptual. And uh, uh, the next level is uh, is more uh, implementation, you could say.
0: Okay, okay, you're on the right track. Heart, wisdom, heart. sorry?
3: I was gonna say heart and emotion.
0: Okay, not exactly. It's more, it is more intellect, it is before emotion. But a wise person is humble. A wise person has to be open-minded. Wisdom means I'm open-minded. I'm open to something bigger than myself. I'm open to a new idea. In the context of God, I'm open to something that doesn't make sense to me. That's direct conflict. That's in direct conflict with his understanding. Because so understanding means I have to, it has to make sense to me. And we try to kind of bridge the gap between these two. And we'll talk about next week how davening does that. Davening is about bridging that gap between our, um, our reality and our uh, lack of. <laughs> but anyway, so that's chachma, that openness, bitter, right? Since as the Zohar states it's called holy anointing oil. What is the Chachma? What is what? Sorry, what is the the oil, the fuel for the fire, for God, in our lives? Wisdom. We're gonna translate that as Bitzl. as being open. How do we open ourselves up to something bigger than ourselves? That's a mitzvah.
2: So, is there a lot of times when we talk about? translations, you know, we're talking about Chochmah, we're talking about Bittu. Um My mind at the moment is trying to link those two Hebrew words, even though it doesn't seem like there's any link between them, even though when you translate them, they both kind of lead you to the same place. Right?
0: Okay, good question. The, the words themselves,
1: um, take a look at the Hebrew word for Chochmah. Chochmah is a compound of two words. Koach, Ma.
0: Koach means uh, potential. Ma means what? Implying an openness, an openness to potential. And that's essentially what Bitzel is, or at least one level of Bitzel, where I'm open to the potential of something big, something
1: beyond me. And that's essentially what a mitzvah is. I remember years ago, when I was in yeshiva, every Friday we would go out and do community
0: outreach, find fellow Jews, put on fill-in with them and, and uh, you know, wish them a good Shabbos. So we all had our posts that we would go to every Friday. I would go to this Israeli supermarket in Encino, California, it's called Super Sal, And it was, it was a cool route. I would, I, we had a table right outside. I'd meet different people. Sometimes I'd meet the same people every week and there was also new people, so it was, it was cool. I'd see this fellow, said, would you like to put on filling? You didn't really have to ask, are you Jewish? It was an Israeli supermarket with a shawarma store that stand there was,
1: he says, sure. We um, said, okay, come roll up your sleeves. He says, why? So, We're gonna put on filling. He says, well, I
0: don't really know what those are what's that, what are you about to do to me, he was willing to do a mitzvah, without even knowing what it was, right, just like the Jews said at at Mount Sinai, not a seven, we're going to do it, then we're going to sin, I was at another time, when I was living in Florida, there was a place called Gulfstream, you remember Gulfstream, Gulfstream is in Aventura, it's like a big outdoor shopping center, and I used, to, so I used to go there every week and I met this other fellow there. I said, excuse me, are you Jewish? Everybody in Florida is Jewish. Just, no, okay. am um, Yeah, would you like to put on tefillin short? One second, can you explain what's about to happen? What are we doing? Explain it to me. I'm not judging either of their reactions. I'm just making an observation, right? My observation is that the first guy was, for some reason, open. Oh, Crazy, but open to doing a mitzvah made no sense then. Right? Later, he'll make sense of it and make it meaningful, and you should. It should appeal to the animals.
1: But first, he had this bit where he's open to God's light. Last Hanukkah, Chabad of Fremont, 20 minutes away, was doing an outdoor uh, drive through concert. And He was unable, the the rabbi, we're good buddies, was unable to
0: get a stage because of the venue. They were doing it. They couldn't do a stage for some reason. It was going to cost an exorbitant amount of money to build the stage because of permits and all these crazy things for a stage for a couple hours. So he had a brilliant idea. He's going to go to Enterprise, rent a flatbed truck. And now it's not a stage, it's just a truck. And we happen to have a band on the flatbed truck, and there happens to be, you know, happens to be set up really nicely, perfect. He goes to Enterprise in Pleasanton, and he's chatting. And behind the counter is—I forget his name already—but he's Jewish. Guy's Jewish. So Rabbi Fah says, "We just asked me. He says this guy is Jewish. He's right around the air, your area, you know. Reel him in." So I show up at Enterprise. I said, my buddy, Rabbi Fass, met you. He said, you're Jewish. I'm one of the rabbis in the community, at the Chabad Jewish Community Center, just wanted to introduce myself. We start chatting. This guy had very little knowledge about Judaism, other than the fact that he knows he was Jewish. He almost said he's not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. My mom's Jewish, you know. She was, he had very little knowledge about Judaism. He was from Arizona. I said, have you ever had a bar mitzvah? No. Have you ever heard of tefillin? No. Would you like to put on and? Yes. <laughs> he's never even seen them before. I go behind the counter in the middle of enterprise and start wrapping these wacky boxes on the guy in the middle of his work and he's totally open to it. And I started, afterwards I got in the car and I'm thinking to myself, if, I was, if it was the reverse situation, how would I respond? I've never heard of this before. Somebody wants to disturb my work, my business, and wrap some straps on me. How, how am I gonna react? I t- I'll tell you this: the, the nishama is gonna react beautifully. The nishama loves it.
1: This guy's nishama shined. And this brings out the Nishama because, because it doesn't make sense. The biggest
0: um the word I'm looking for is, is blockage, intercept interceptor. Other the neshama sometimes is the mind. The mind could facilitate the soul, but sometimes it could get in the way. In this case, it wasn't getting in the way. And that's chachma, I'm totally open-minded, I'm open to something big. Take a look at the second paragraph on 676. The yunuka, this prodigy quoted in the Kabbalistic book of the Zohar interprets the oil as the good deeds, which are the 613 mitzvahs, From which flows God's wisdom, the openness. So to keep the flame, the shekinah, attached to the wick. Okay, the wick. So let's map this out here. You have the divine presence. You have God's presence. You have the the fuel for the divine presence. That's the mitzvah. Well, where is the divine presence being housed? Where's the wick? That's the soul. That's That's the animal soul and body animal soul and body are like the wick. They need fuel, they need bitzl, they need chachma, they need to be open. They need to be consumed a little bit.
1: And now the fire can ignite. That's ultimately going to transform the animal soul and the body. To what was um, hiding God, it's now facilitating God. What was hiding the soul? is now facilitating the soul.
0: It's because it had Bittu. Sometimes there there was a, we've referenced the story in the past, but there was once a person who was having serious doubts in their um, understanding of God, their understanding of Judaism. So somebody asked the Rebbe, how should I um, navigate with this person? What should I learn with them? What should I explain to them? And the Rebbe said, get him to do a mitzvah. Yeah, but he doesn't believe yet. You know, he's not looking for that. He needs to be satisfied. It has to make sense. To the Rebbe said, no, his soul is hungry. When somebody's hungry, you don't start reading recipes. You give them food. And then you can explain how you made the food.
1: We need to do the mitzvah. Open ourselves up. And we also need to learn about
0: it, to integrate it, to make it meaningful, to learn the recipe. That's important. Make a beautiful menu. Make it intellectually and emotionally appealing. That's important. But the the action itself is the actual fuel that's going to allow the um, initial ignition. Take a look on the last page, 677. This is the moment, guys. It's all here um the second the second paragraph the middle of the page this will clarify well the verse it's a verse in deuteronomy for your god your god is a consuming fire god refers to himself in the torah as a consuming fire the literal meaning of the text the context of the text if you look at the verse before don't serve idols because god will take vengeance he's a consuming fire but there's a deeper meaning There's a reason why God is referring to himself as a consuming fire. The reason is because if you want to experience God, if you want to experience the fire, you need fuel. A wick alone, the fact that you exist with a body and an animal soul, that alone is not going to be enough to facilitate God in a palpable way. He's a fire. That
1: fire needs fuel. That's the mitzvahs. That's the Torah study. Next time we're about to do a mitzvah,
0: we're about to study Torah. Think about what we are doing in our relationship with
1: God, bringing God into ourselves, into our lives. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.